Let's get philosophical. Critical Reflections on Conspiracy Theory Theory Authored by Curtis Hagen The following is a modified portion of an article entitled, Conspiracy Theorists and Monological Belief Systems, published in an open-access online academic philosophy journal called Argumenta, in 2018, by Curtis Hagen. This podcast episode focuses on the claim that conspiracy theorists believe obviously mutually inconsistent theories and also the notion that they readily believe completely made-up theories. Conspiracy Theorists and Monological Belief Systems, Part 1 Conspiracy theorists believe mutually contradictory theories and other misleading academic memes. In a recent review of the social science literature on the belief in conspiracy theories, Jan Willem van Pruijen and Paul A. M. van Lang write, One of the main research findings on this phenomenon is that conspiracy beliefs are monological in nature. One conspiracy theory reinforces other conspirational ideas, making individuals who believe in one conspiracy theory more likely to also believe in other conspiracy theories. This finding, as described here, is neither surprising nor epistemically problematic, for reasons to be elaborated below. Indeed, the idea that this is the main research finding regarding belief in conspiracy theories may cause one to wonder, why is such a commonsensical and innocuous finding even regarded as interesting? The answer is that the idea of being monological is thought to have other, more problematic, implications. Conspiracy theorists are thought to take this normal and unproblematic reasoning process, using one belief as evidence for another, too far. Indeed, allegedly, they take it to the point of self-contradiction. Continuing, Van Pruijen and Van Lang write, A recent study reveals that this monological belief system even applies to conspiracy theories that are mutually exclusive. Do conspiracy theorists believe contradictory conspiracy theories? The study thought to support this idea, called Dead and Alive, was led by Michael Wood. Its conclusion is cited prominently by many scholars writing on this topic, including Cass Sunstein, Joseph Osinski and Joseph Parent, Viren Swamy, and Christopher French. It is a powerful meme for anyone who wants to encourage a dismissive attitude toward conspiracy theories, because it suggests that the fantastical thinking of conspiracy theorists is not even held in check by the most obvious of contradictions. Below are just a few examples of depictions of this finding that reveal the flavor it is given. In their book, American Conspiracy Theories, political scientists Joseph Osinski and Joseph Parent write, A predisposition toward conspiratorial thinking explains why people believe theories that are logically contradictory, Example, many of the people believing Osama bin Laden is still alive also believe he was dead long before the raid on his compound. Likewise, Christopher French, who is a professor of psychology and the head of the Animalistic Psychology Research Unit at Goldsmiths College, University of London, writes in Scientific American. People who are strongly inclined toward conspiratorial thinking will be more likely to endorse mutually contradictory theories. For example, if you believe that Osama bin Laden was killed many years before the American government officially announced his death, you are also more likely to believe that he is still alive. In an article titled, Analytic Thinking Reduces Belief in Conspiracy Theories, Viren Swamy and colleagues write. A growing body of evidence suggests that belief in conspiracy theories is associated with 
belief in contradictory statements. The Science News website, Live Science, under the headline, Contradictions Don't Deter Conspiracy Theorists, also makes the same claim. Did Princess Diana fake her own death to escape the public eye? Or was she killed by a rogue element of the British Secret Service? If you agree with one of these theories, there's a good chance you'll subscribe to both even though one suggests Princess Diana is alive, the other did, a new study indicates. And, people who believed Bin Laden was already dead before the raid were more likely to believe he is still alive. In an op-ed for Newsday, Cass Sunstein writes, Remarkably, people who accept one conspiracy theory tend to accept another conspiracy theory that is logically inconsistent with it. People who believe that Princess Diana faked her own death are more likely to think that she was murdered. People who believe that Osama bin Laden was already dead when U.S. forces invaded his compound are more likely to believe that he is still alive. Sunstein is suggesting that such people are reasoning in a remarkably irrational way. Skepticism toward authorities, Sunstein elsewhere writes. Even leads suspicious individuals to disregard contradictions between them. That is, between alternative conspiracy theories. Sunstein suggests that conspiracy theorists are so suspicious that they are driven to embrace mutually contradictory positions. However, there is a serious problem with all this. The research referred to does not actually show the self-contradictory thinking that is alleged. This misreading of the study is not entirely the fault of Sunstein and these others, for the authors of the study themselves suggested the same interpretation of their findings. The very title of the article in question, Dead and Alive, Beliefs in Contradictory Conspiracy Theories, suggests the above interpretation. And, so there can be no misunderstanding, the article concludes by clearly stating that Believing that Osama bin Laden is still alive is apparently no obstacle to believing that he has been dead for years. Yet this is all unfounded. The article did not document individuals who simultaneously believed two mutually exclusive scenarios, though it would not be too surprising to find some isolated occurrences. The authors of the article in question, Michael Wood, Karen Douglas, and Robbie Sutton, describe two studies, which will be examined in turn. Study 1 tells us that there is a correlation between the degree of agreement with several statements about the death of Princess Diana. What is regarded as interesting in this study is that some positively correlated statements about the death of Princess Diana seem to be contradictory. The authors write, Either she was killed by a rogue cell of British Secret Service, number 1, or by business rivals of the Fayeds, number 4, or she faked her own death, number 3. These are described as mutually incompatible and unambiguous contradictions. Clearly, the first two, number one and number four, are not unambiguous contradictions. British intelligence and the Fayed's business enemies could have colluded, as many people believe about the mob and the CIA with regard to the JFK assassination. However, both propositions number one and number four really do, nearly enough, contradict the notion that Diana faked her own death, number three. What does a correlation of this kind really mean, anyway? It means that if subjects rated their level of agreement to one of these statements as relatively high, on a scale of one to seven, they were likely to rate the other relatively high too, as compared to those who rated the first relatively low. 
it is important to notice that nobody would have to believe any of these statements to produce this result. And it is also worth noting that, as the authors admit, endorsement of the faked own death theory was extremely low, with a mean of only 1.52 on a 7-point scale. So, in this context, even a rating of 2 is relatively high. Can that be reasonably interpreted as belief? More generally, what does it mean to agree to a statement at a level of, say 2, 3, 4, or even 5 or 6 on a scale of 1 to 7? It is not clear what it means. But the obviousness of the incongruence of the genuinely incompatible statement suggests that it does not amount to belief. It is more plausibly interpreted as something resembling what is more explicitly measured in study 2, to which we now turn. In the abstract to their paper, the authors write. In study 2, n equals 102, the more participants believed that Osama bin Laden was already dead when U.S. special forces raided his compound in Pakistan, the more they believed he is still alive. But that is not quite accurate. Again, the researchers did not measure belief. What they measured in this study can more accurately be characterized as the degree of credence given to mutually contradictory conspiracy theories. In their own words, they found significant positive correlation between composite endorsement ratings. If person A found the theory that Osama bin Laden is still alive relatively more, quote, plausible, convincing, worth considering, and coherent, unquote, than person B did, then person A was likely to also find the theory that Osama was already dead at the time of the raid more plausible, etc., than person B did. And this is actually perfectly reasonable, there is no contradiction here. As the researchers quite reasonably suggest, what seems to be at work here is a mediating belief that authorities are untrustworthy. Indeed, that is not merely an obvious and plausible idea, it is also supported by their statistical analysis. If a particular individual is less trusting of the government than someone else, regardless of what level of trust is warranted, he or she is more likely to give greater credence to alternative accounts of contested events. There is simply nothing epistemically dubious about, say, rating both the notion that Osama was already dead and that he is still alive as more plausible, convincing, worth considering and coherent than someone else with more faith in official stories rated both theories. Lee Basham puts the same objection this way. The researchers conflate participants' reports of strong suspicions with settled beliefs. He provides the following illustration. Imagine you have misplaced your key ring. You suspect you left it in the front door lock. You also suspect you left it in the kitchen. Given your previous behavior, you rate as quite probable, agree, that it is in the front door and equally as probable, agree, the keys are in the kitchen. This is an entirely rational cognitive practice. But according to the interpretation of Wood et al., you believe your keys are located, at the very same moment, in both your front door and in your kitchen. For those with lost key beliefs, believing one has left the keys in the front door is apparently no obstacle to believing the keys are simultaneously in the kitchen. The authors should have noticed this, since they did notice an analogous issue regarding interestingness, which they decided to exclude in their analysis because there is no contradiction in finding two rival theories equally interesting. Yet they failed to recognize that there is also no contradiction in finding two rival theories equally plausible, convincing, worth considering, 
and coherent. Elsewhere, Robbie Sutton and Karen Douglas, the other two authors of Dead and Alive, consider several possible theories that could potentially explain how contradictory beliefs could be held together. They write, for example, Beliefs may not support each other, but instead may be held together by believers' perception of their own moral tendencies. Alternatively, along with other views, they consider that Incompatible conspiracy beliefs may be held concurrently because they are explained by their coherence with nuclear ideas that pull ideas together to form an ideological system. The problem is that, because there are no simultaneously believed contradictory beliefs documented, there is nothing here that needs explaining, nothing, at least, that is peculiar to conspiracy theorists. So, while the general question of how beliefs and attitudes hold together is an interesting one, the premise that conspiracy theorists in particular tend to hold incompatible beliefs, which would make them especially in need of explanation, is unfounded. As far as one can tell from dead and alive, suspicious people reason normally and properly. And so the fact that this paper has been used to disparage and even ridicule conspiracy theorists is unfortunate and inappropriate. And the authors are partially responsible for this. But what is significant here is not that an isolated paper happens to have been flawed. It is that this flaw, which should not have been difficult to recognize, not only escaped the notice of multiple authors, and past peer review, but appears to have been universally accepted in the psychological research community and widely repeated in both academic and wider venues. Further, as we will see, this is not an isolated error. There is an almost systemic distortion in the psychological literature, and to some degree the social science literature more generally, regarding which the problems with dead and alive are symptomatic. To some extent this may be in the process of self-correction. Surprisingly, it is the authors of Dead and Alive themselves who have begun this process, as we will see in part two of this podcast series. Do conspiracy theorists believe conspiracy theories that are completely made up? Let's consider one other misleading meme promoted by social scientists who study conspiracy theorists. As one group of social scientists put it, conspiracy theorists, quote, readily accept experimentally made-up conspiracy theories, unquote. That makes it sound as though they are willing to believe theories with no basis whatsoever. But what is this really about? In a 2011 study led by Viren Swamy, subjects were asked to rate, quote, the extent to which they agreed, unquote, with various statements about a fictitious conspiracy theory. Let us pause and think for a moment. To what extent should someone agree with a statement they know nothing directly about, have never heard of, and so could not have had any opinion about prior to being asked? It seems they should have responded, I don't know. I have no opinion. For all they know about it, which is nothing, the theories could be true. But, I don't know, was not an option. They had to pick a number between 1, completely false, and 9, completely true. The sensible thing to do, it seems, is to answer according to how likely to be true they judged the statement to be, or how plausible it seemed to them. And if they do this, the subjects can be expected to make their judgments based on their views regarding analogous cases about which they do already have opinions, presumably based on something. And so, it seems, they did. Based on this, Swami and colleagues conclude, as if it tells us something interesting, and unflattering, about conspiracy theorists.
believing in real-world conspiracy theories, appears to make it more likely that an individual will also be more accepting of fictitious conspiracy theories. Yes, indeed. So it should. The subject does not know that the theory is fictitious, and presumably makes her assessment of the probability-slash-plausibility of the fictitious theory based on the only evidence available to her, her other beliefs. These beliefs, presumably, are in turn supported by other beliefs, which may or may not ultimately have reasonably solid grounding. A person who has beliefs that suggest that such things do occur would normally rank the fictitious story higher than people who have beliefs that suggest such things do not occur, or occur only very rarely. And so, of course, those who believe in real-world conspiracy are more accepting of fictitious conspiracy theories, that is, they find them more plausible or more likely to be true than do those who do not believe in real-world conspiracy theories. Here is the trick. The experimenters pick fictitious conspiracy theories making the conspiracy believer end up looking a little silly for giving some degree of credence to a theory that is made up from nothing. In comparison, the conventionalist, someone who believes official accounts, seems like the better thinker. But that is an illusion. The conspiracy theorist and the conventionalist, as far as we can tell, are both reasoning the same. If the researchers had picked a true but little-known conspiracy theory as the test, the conspiracy theorist would have come out looking better. Indeed, that is not just speculation, such an experiment has now been done. As described by Rob Brotherton, of all people. A recent study found that people who reject speculative conspiracy theories, such as evidence of alien contact is being concealed from the public, are also more likely to reject documented conspiracies, such as how likely is the idea that the government has performed mind control experiments on its own citizens without their consent? A coy reference to the CIA's very real MKUltra program. Brotherton is referring to a study led by none other than Michael Wood, the lead author of the Dead and Alive paper discussed above. It is important to keep in mind that neither conspiracy theorists nor the conventionalists can make an a priori claim that their inference was the better one. Which group is more likely to be right in real cases depends upon how common the conspiratorial behaviors of the types in question really are. And, to have a sense of that, one has to do an empirical study, not of conspiracy theorists, but of the history of conspiracies, both of the officially acknowledged and of the controversial varieties. Another point that needs to be emphasized is that neither side is reasoning badly, given their beliefs about conspiracy theories in general. It is entirely reasonable for those who believe in conspiracy theories to be more inclined to believe theories that are relevantly similar to other theories that they think they have reason to believe, especially if those theories imply that authorities cannot be trusted. And, likewise, it is entirely reasonable for people who do not believe in conspiracy theories in general to be less inclined to believe in any particular one. This is because the, perceived, prior probability of a given type of explanation influences, and ought to influence, one's assessment of plausibility of a particular hypothesis of that type. The interesting question in this context is not whether one's perception of the prior probability involved influences one's judgment about the plausibility of a specific case. In general, it clearly does and should. Rather, the interesting question is whether the degree of prior probability is accurately perceived in the first place. 
In other words, if we want to make a judgment about who has the most appropriate perspective on the issue we would have to study whether or not belief in conspiracy theories in general is warranted. And to do this, we would have to study the relevant history, and the empirical evidence surrounding controversial cases. And this is something that these social scientists do not typically want to bother with very much. Just as, people with more conspiracist worldviews, might be inclined to, seek out information on criminal acts carried out by officials in the past, as Wood has suggested, people with conventionalist worldviews may be inclined not to. Both are forms of confirmation bias. As for academics who shy away from such studies, one can hardly blame them. After all, the evidence supporting conspiracy theories involving the most paradigmatic conspiracy theories, the JFK assassination in 9-11, is mountainous. Judging its quality would be an enormous task. Conclusion This podcast has focused on just a couple of the social science papers focusing on conspiracy theories that have published misleading findings which were accepted uncritically and repeated by other scholars, and more broadly as well. These findings were used to disparage conspiracy theorists unfairly, making them appear intellectually unhinged, while it was these scholars themselves, ironically, who were failing to reason clearly. One implication is that scholars, and social scientists in particular, ought to be much more careful in their treatment of conspiracy theorists. Unfairly disparaging a large class of people is no small matter. Both the alleged tendency to believe contradictory theories, and the supposed inclination to be more accepting of entirely fictitious conspiracy theories are cited as evidence that conspiracy theorists operate within a monological belief system. The concept of monological belief systems is the topic of part two of this two-part podcast series. You have been listening to part one of a two-part podcast series containing modified portions of an article entitled, Conspiracy Theorists and Monological Belief Systems, published in 2018, in an open-access academic philosophy journal called Argumenta, by Curtis Hagen.